You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. Today's reading is Exodus 35, starting in verse 1. Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, These are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a day of Sabbath rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it is to be put to death. Do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver and bronze, blue, purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat head, goat hair, Ram skins dyed red and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle with its tent and its covering, clasp, frames, crossbars, posts and bases, the ark with its poles and the atonement cover and the curtain that shields it, the table with its poles and all its articles and the bread of the presence, the lampstand that is for light with its accessories, lamps and oil for the light, the altar of incense with its poles, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, the curtain for the doorway, the entrance to the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils, the bronze basin with its stand, the curtains of the courtyard with its posts and bases, and the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard, the tent pegs for the tabernacle and for the courtyard and their ropes, the woven garments worn for ministering in the sanctuary, both the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them, came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewellery of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Everyone who had blue, purple or scarlet yarn or fine linen or goat hair, Ram skins dyed red or the other durable leather brought them. Those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord, and everyone who had acacia wood for any part of the work brought it. Every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple or scarlet yarn or fine linen. And all the women who were willing and had the skills spun the goat hair. The leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. They also brought spices and olive oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, 
to work in wood and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he has given him both him and Oholiab, son of Ahisamak, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen and weavers, all of them skilled workers and designers. Hi there, DPC. Uh, it's good to be together again to look at God's word together. Uh, just a, a bit of a disclaimer as we start. I'm still recovering from a bit of a cough, uh, so I, I really apologise if that's a bit distracting on the way through. Uh, you might find it helpful to follow along with the outline of my sermon, which is on the welcome card page that was mentioned earlier. You might also find it helpful to have open a Bible if you've got access to one. Uh, so please uh, grab a Bible if you can. As you do that, let's pray uh, before we look at God's word. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you uh, that you want us to be drawn into a deep and life-giving partnership with you and with your people. Uh, and so we pray that this day uh, that you would make this wonderful reality clearer to us and more real to our hearts. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I think deep down all of us really long to be a part of something bigger. Now, for many of us during COVID, there's a real sense in, in which our worlds have gotten a whole lot smaller. You know, have been forced to be restricted to our homes, our local community, our 5K zone, at least to some extent where we've had to disconnect from the world at large. Our social networks have shrunk, our vision has become a bit more restricted, our horizons have become a bit less expansive. And I think the result of that is that many of us feel like we're just in survival mode. Right? We feel flat, we, we feel discouraged, and we, we feel like life has just been sucked out of us. And why is that? Oh, no doubt there are lots of reasons, or probably as many reasons as there are individuals. But I think at least part of it is that God made us to be a part of something bigger. Right? Our households just long for that. Which is why even during COVID, people have found themselves being caught up in various large-scale events and movements. A couple of examples. Take, take the, the Olympics, for example. Well, whatever you think about the ethics of the Olympics being held in Tokyo during their lockdown, I think it's pretty clear that, that the Olympics really lifted the spirits of many Australians. As people got caught up in Olympic fever, they felt uh, that they were connected to something bigger. Right? Something that, that, at least for those two weeks, brought them a real sense of joy and meaning and purpose. From a different perspective, oh, I think this is at least part of what's going on with the recent lockdown protests. Well, once again, I'm not commenting on the virtue or otherwise of those protests. I simply want to point out that for those who do participate in those protests, uh, it seems to give them a real sense that they're a part of something bigger, right? something meaningful, something purposeful, right? something that, that they feel is going to make a real difference in our world. Right? This is what we long for. I'm sure you could think of your own example. Right? A deep sense of connection with others, of sharing in the same experiences, of participating in the same movements, of breaking out of our own little world to be a part of something 
bigger. And what I want you to hear today is that we all long for that because that's what God made us for. He made us to find lasting satisfaction and meaning and purpose as we are drawn into a deep and life-giving connection, a fellowship, a partnership with both him and his people. And that's what God's done for us here at DPC. By his grace, he's drawn us into this deep and life-giving partnership with both himself and with one another. We are partners. Some of you might know that the Greek word that uh, behind that idea of partners is koinonia. Right? In our English New Testament, it's a word that's translated in several different ways. Right? Sometimes it's as fellowship, sometimes as participation or sharing, and other times as partnership. So the idea is that we as a church are partners. And that idea of partnership is centred on the things that we as God's people share, rather the spiritual realities that we participate in together, are the realities that bind us together as God's people. Oh, we don't have time today to do a kind of full study of this theme of partnership, but so what I want to do is take you on a bit of a journey through the book of Philippians. Because this idea of partnership is one of the key themes in Philippians. So if you've got a Bible, please open it up to the book of Philippians. If you're not sure where that is, then just take a look at the contents page at the front of the Bible. First, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6, we see that we as God's people are partners because we share in the same experience of the power of the gospel in our lives. Paul says to the Philippians, chapter 1, verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Notice how emphatic Paul is, right? I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Why is Paul so thankful for the the Philippians? We'll we'll take a look at verse 5. Paul says, I'm full of thanks and joy for you because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul's heart's full of constant thankfulness for the Philippians because of their partnership, their fellowship, their participation in the gospel. One dimension of their partnership in the gospel is their shared commitment to the progress of the gospel in the world. We'll come back to that later on. But the other dimension to their partnership is their shared experience of the power of the gospel in their lives. But if you look again at verses 5 and 6, it's pretty clear that God began his good work in the lives of the Philippians through the gospel, through the good news that Paul proclaimed to them of what God had done for them in Christ. And Paul's confident that God will complete that good work when Christ returns. Paul and the Philippians are partners first because they have this shared experience of the power of the gospel. But what does that actually look like? What did it look like for the Philippians when when God began his good work in them 
through the gospel. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 16, verses 13 to 15. I encourage you to do that later on. But you'll read there that starting with the woman named Lydia and then with Lydia's whole household, Luke tells us how the Lord opened the hearts of the Philippians to the message of the gospel. We don't know exactly what that looked like for the Philippians. But when the Lord opened my heart to the gospel, It meant that the message that I'd always known in my head all of a sudden became alive in my heart. For the first time in my life, I understood and accepted in a deep and personal way not just that people in general were sinful, but that I was deeply flawed and broken and sinful. So sinful, in fact, that Jesus had to die for me on the cross, but in my place. There was no other way for my sins to be dealt with. But at the same time, I also understood and accepted that God didn't just love people in general. but He loved me. And he showed his love for me in the fact that Jesus was willing to die for me. This is the sort of experience that bound Paul and the Philippians together. They were partners in the gospel because they had this shared experience of the power of the gospel breaking into their lives. And it's that experience that binds us together as partners. We've all got a story of how God began his good work in our lives, how he opened our hearts to the message of the gospel. Why don't you share your story with someone after church, maybe on the post-church Zoom, maybe later this week in your gospel community. We're partners because we share in this same experience of the power of the gospel in our lives. Which means, second, that we're partners because we share in God's grace. Take a look at the end of verse 7, chapter 1, verse 7. Paul speaks there about how all the Philippians share in God's grace with him. That word share is related to the word partnership in verse 5. You see, that because, because the Philippians share in the gospel, they also share in God's grace, right? in God's undeserved favour and blessing. As flawed and sinful and broken people, really, we deserve nothing from God other than his judgment, right? his rejection. I've been in his amazing, wonderful grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has given us what we don't deserve. But he's accepted us, he's embraced us, he's really lavished us with his love. We are partners here at DPC because we have this shared experience of God's amazing grace. Of course, by the power of the gospel and God's grace, we have been drawn in to fellowship with God, into a deep and life-giving partnership with God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. So at the start of Philippians 2, it's no surprise that as Paul speaks to the Philippians, he talks about them sharing in Christ and his Spirit. I take a look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says there, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, well, literally, from being in Christ, Rather, the idea being that when you become a Christian, spiritually speaking, you're connected with Christ. You share in Christ. You're, you almost literally participate in Christ. Therefore, 
If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, same word, any fellowship or participation, partnership in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete, Paul says, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. You see what Paul's saying? He's saying if all you guys share in the same Christ, which you do, and if all of you share in the same spirit, which you do, then by the power of God's spirit, you should seek to maintain the unity of your church, right? But by living like the Christ you're united with, but humbly looking to the interests of others, not just your own interests. Likewise for us here at DPC, right? If you're a Christian, we share in a relationship with the same Christ and the same spirit. So by the power of God's spirit, we should seek to maintain and strengthen the unity of our church. How? By living like the Christ we've been united with by God's grace, who humbly look to the interests of others, not just his own interests. And we've got to be honest about this, right? This is something that, that can be particularly hard during this season of COVID, when there's all sorts of unique pressures and tensions put on our relationships with one another. By God's grace, we've got to keep relating to one another with the same tenderness and compassion that we've all experienced from the Christ we're united to. In chapter 3, verses 7 to 11, Paul goes even deeper into this wonderful reality that we share in the same experience of knowing Christ. In chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, if you scan those verses, you'll see that Paul lists all the reasons why he kind of used to think that God would love and accept him. Uh, If you look at those verses, you'll see uh, that it was all about Paul's religious pedigree and performance. But, But now Paul knows that God loves and accepts him simply because he knows Christ. Take a look from verse 7, chapter 3, verse 7. Paul says, Uh, But whatever were gains to me, whether that's his religious pedigree and performance in verses 1 to 6, or whatever were gains to me, Paul says, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. (coughs) Uh, What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul used to think his religious pedigree and performance was really impressive to God. That's what he meant when he says it was to his gain before God, his advantage before God. But now he considers all that stuff to be worthless, to to be garbage, compared to the great treasure of knowing Christ. And you'll see in these verses that Paul says that to know Christ is to gain Christ, to be found in Christ. Rather, the word koinonia isn't actually used in verses 7 to 9. But the idea is certainly here. To know Christ is to be brought into a deep and life-giving fellowship with Christ, a partnership with Christ, a fellowship that for at least two reasons makes everything else on the planet seem worthless. 
But first, because knowing Christ means that what is true of Christ is true of you. Look, look at how Paul continues. Right here, he says, knowing Christ leads not to having a righteousness of my own that comes from, uh, from the law, uh, but a righteousness which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. A righteousness here is about living in right relationships with God and others. Right now, as detailed in God's law that Paul mentions, well, which we know Jesus summarised as being about loving God and loving others. And Paul used to think he did a good job of obeying God's law. Right? He fulfilled God's law. He ticked all the boxes. He was righteous before God. Uh, but when Christ appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, he realised that the righteousness he'd been trying to kind of put together through his own efforts and works, that righteousness was hopelessly inadequate. But if you imagine it as a kind of set of clothes, Paul realised that his righteousness had holes all through it. But it just did not cover uh, the fullness of his sin and failure and shame. So on that road to Damascus, Paul started to realise that it was Christ who lived the perfectly righteous life that he could never live. And it was Christ who died the death that he deserved to die, right, for all his failures to live a righteous life. So now through faith in Christ, Paul knows that he can be found in Christ, right? He can be clothed, as it were, not, not with his own righteousness, which was hopelessly inadequate, but with the perfect and glorious righteousness of Christ. And this is why it's such a great treasure to know Christ, right? But because knowing Christ means that what is true of Christ is true of you. So if Christ is perfectly righteous and pure and blameless before God his Father, which he is, then as one who is in Christ, who's united with Christ, who participates in Christ, you too are perfectly righteous and pure and blameless before God your Father. In verses 10 and 11, where we see that knowing Christ doesn't just mean that what's true of Christ is true of you. It also means that what happened to Christ will happen to you. Particularly in verse 10, Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Uh, Paul knows that, that as someone who is in Christ, uh, that what happened to Christ will happen to him. Right? Because it's like he's participating in the very life of Christ. Uh, so the shape of Paul's life will be the same as the shape of Christ's life. Right? Suffering and death now, before power and glory later. Uh, so Paul knows that if he wants to participate in the glories of Christ's resurrection, uh, he must first be willing to participate in the sufferings of Christ's death. And it's the same for us, right? who by faith in Christ are participating in Christ. Right? If we want to participate in the glories of Christ's resurrection, right, one day knowing uh, eternal life and pleasure and joy, uh, then we must first be willing to participate in the sufferings of Christ's death. 
Oh, well, we have to be a community of partners in the gospel that keeps urging one another to obey Christ's call, to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him, right? Participating in the sufferings and death of Christ. Right? Because we know that the path of the cross leads to a crown. And the path of suffering leads to glory. Uh, well, fifth, uh, as those who by faith in Christ have been drawn into the very life of God uh, with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, it's no surprise that in Philippians 4 that we see, uh, we see that we also share in life with one another. Three things here. First, we share in one another's joys and sorrows. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 14, Paul says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles, literally to participate in my troubles, to partner with me in my troubles. You see, as partners, our community life really shouldn't be distant or disinterested. We shouldn't be trying to kind of keep people at arm's length. We're to actively participate in one another's troubles, by sharing in both joys and sorrow. And that's not to say you've got to carry everyone else's emotional burdens or that it's not okay to kind of draw some emotional boundaries. Right? But it is to say that God intends our partnership with one another to be far more than superficial. Right? He wants our partnership to be deep and rich and meaningful so that we actually share in one another's joys and sorrows. <coughs> And let me say, as we do that, we'll be more able to share in giving and receiving. Because we'll actually know what's going on for one another. From verse 15, Paul says, take a look in verse 15. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, uh, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me, participated with me, partnered with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Being partners with one another means that like Paul and the Philippians, we share in giving and receiving. In their case, the Philippians knew that they had received the ultimate blessing from God, the blessing of eternal life through faith in the gospel that Paul shared with them. So as soon as the Philippians received that blessing from Paul, they eagerly gave to support Paul's ministry. This means first for us that if you're receiving the benefits of the gospel through DPC, it's really fitting that you would give to support the ministry of the gospel through DPC. Well, that's a part of our partnership with one another. But this also means, much more, it's much broader than that, isn't it? It means that if you see a brother or sister in need, in trouble, like Paul was, that that is an opportunity for you to give to them as an expression of your partnership with them. And frankly, if you're the one who's in need, please let us know what your needs are, right? like Paul did with the Philippians. So that we can have the joy of giving to support your needs and you can have the joy of receiving our giving. And what we see at the end of Philippians chapter 2 is that our giving to one another 
uh, can often be in costly and sacrificial ways. Take a look from from Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. Philippians 2, verse 25. We see here that that as an expression of their partnership with Paul, uh, the Philippians had sent a man named Epaphroditus to him to care for him while he was in prison. But now Paul's sending Epaphroditus back uh, because, if you look at verses 26 to 30, you'll see that in the process of caring for Paul, Epaphroditus became so sick that he nearly died. And now by God's mercy, he's recovered, so Paul's sending him back to the Philippians. Uh, But notice that Paul says the Philippians should honour, they should show great esteem to men like Epaphroditus. Right? Why? Well, because as an expression of his partnership with Paul, Epaphroditus was willing to give for Paul's sake in a way that was sacrificial and costly. That's important because it's like Christ, who we saw earlier in chapter 2, was willing to give of himself for our sake, making himself, being obedient to his death on the cross. Being partners with one another means sharing with one another in ways that are sometimes costly for us. But I'm not saying that we should be reckless or kind of unsustainable about that cost. But I am saying that it's okay, right? even Christ-like, if your partnership with your brothers and sisters at DPC sometimes feels costly. Finally, being partners with one another means that we have a shared commitment to the progress of the gospel in our world. I said earlier that Paul's partnership with the Philippians was uh, first about their shared experience of the power of the gospel. It's also about their shared commitment to the progress of the gospel. So take a look at Philippians chapter 1 verse 7. Right, we see there that when Paul's imprisoned for the God, whether Paul's imprisoned for the gospel, uh, as he is when he writes this letter, or whether he's kind of freely defending and confirming the gospel, uh, the Philippians have always stood by his side. Right? Why? Because they have a shared commitment to the progress of the gospel in this world. Right? And that's what binds them together. So if you look at scan down at Philippians 1 verse 12, Paul assures the Philippians, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, right, his imprisonment in Rome, has actually served to advance, to progress the gospel. You see what Paul's saying? He doesn't want the Philippians to worry about him, right? Because he knows that what unites them as partners in the gospel is their shared commitment to the progress of the gospel in the world. And that's exactly what's happened through his imprisonment. So his chains are wonderful news for the gospel. But Paul and the Philippians are partners because of their shared commitment to the progress of the gospel. Likewise, we here at DPC are partners because of our shared commitment to the progress of the gospel. But in our community, in our city, in our world. Let me say that this is the great movement that we've been caught up in as Christians. It's the movement that gives us deep meaning and purpose and joy in life. It's the movement that can make a real difference in this world as we make disciples of Christ together. You see, we all long to be a part of something bigger. 
Well, we might try to satisfy that longing by getting caught up in the Olympics or the footy finals or participating in social activism. But none of those things will satisfy. Right? Because the big thing that God made us to be a part of is the very life of his being. Right? That to be drawn in by the power of the gospel into a deep and life-giving partnership with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And as we share in that partnership with God, and we become partners with one another too. And we all long to be a part of something bigger. Right? And we'll find that longing satisfied in this deep and life-giving partnership with both God and his people. Let's pray. Uh, gracious Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we pray that this day you would open our eyes to see that we are partners that by the power of your gospel, you have drawn us into a deep and life-giving partnership, a fellowship with you, God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And that in so doing, we've also been drawn into a deep and life-giving partnership with one another. Our Father, we pray that you would enrich our sense and experience of these partnerships in such a way that it transforms our lives. For the glory of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.